Good morning. Um, I want to start our time this morning by introducing you to a man that I have been reading about. His name is Bashir Muhammad. Now, he is in his 20s still today. Uh, he was born and raised as a Muslim in Syria. And uh, around the age of 15, his cousin, Ahmed, invited him to go to an extremist jihadi rally. And he went. And at that rally, he was started this kind of indoctrination process into this very, very narrow way of thinking. This, this narrow sect of the Muslim faith that basically said, unless you believe in the Allah we believe in, you are an enemy and you need to be converted or you need to be killed. And at 20 years old, he joined full-fledged into this movement, and he went to the front lines, and he became what we would call a religious terrorist. He went after the killing and the torture of people that did not believe as he believed. It's sobering to think about the fact that this is real, and this happens in our world today. And, and we're far away from it for the most part, but it's happening every day. And there are Christians that wake up and face this every day. Now, what strikes me about Mashir is that he reminds me of Paul. See, Paul was a religious terrorist too, wasn't he? He was an extremist who was going after Christians who wanted to torture them, drag them away to Jerusalem, who stood by and cheered on the killing of believers. He did that for Stephen. Remember, we just studied that. And so Bashir Muhammad is, is today, and he's over on the other side of the world, but, but he reminds me so much of Paul. And so I want you to imagine with me for just a moment, that you get word that Bashir Muhammad has come to your neighborhood. And he's not alone. He came with some other people. And you've heard the story about him. You know who he is. You know that he's come to root out Christians. And so what do you do? I would get on my knees. And I would say, Jesus, do whatever you have to do, but you've got to make this stop. And so imagine with me for a moment that we are on our knees beseeching the Lord. Come, Jesus, make it stop. Do something. Protect your holy people, your followers. Close your eyes and imagine this moment with me. You're praying, and then you hear your name. God whispers unmistakably your name. And you say, yes, Lord, here I am, Lord. And then with bone-chilling clarity, he says, I want you to go two streets over to that blue house, the one with the red door, the house of Judas. 
And I want you to ask for Bashir Muhammad from Syria. He's praying and he has seen a vision of you coming to place your hands on him to restore his sight. What do you say? What is your response to that? Go ahead and open your eyes. Do you feel the fear that Ananias must have felt? I do. I don't want to go there, Lord. Do you know who that is? And do you know what he's come to do? He hates people like me. He wants to kill people like me. I could die. Or if we're honest, he could do a lot worse to me. I don't want to go. I feel the fear that I think Ananias felt in that moment. What do you think it was like for him to get that tap on the shoulder? See, if I'm really honest with you, I would tell you, I don't know what I would do. With that kind of danger, potential, I don't know what I would do. I would hope that as we learned a few weeks ago from Sissy, that my relationship to the Lord would determine my response to him. I would hope that that's how I would reply. You know, when I think about this account, when I, when I kind of insert myself into what it must have been like for Ananias, I hear this simple phrase, are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out? I hear that phrase because it's not new for me. It's a phrase that the Lord asked me long ago in college. You know, back in the day when I was just playing at being a Christian, when I was saying one thing and then doing something completely different, in a moment of silence and stillness before the Lord, it was like he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Jody, are you in or are you out? This was not a salvation question. This was a dedication question. Are you in or are you out? Now, the good news for us is that it is highly unlikely that the Lord is going to ask us to go down the street and pray for a known terrorist. It is probably not going to happen. But something will be asked of us. We will get a tap on the shoulder from the Lord and we will get a request from him to go do something that we won't know the outcome of, that will make us a little bit afraid. And in that moment, we will get to decide, are we in or are we out? So today, I want us to look not at Paul, but at Ananias See, Paul is extraordinary, isn't he? He has this extraordinary calling on his life, and he pays an extraordinarily high cost for this calling. But Ananias, Ananias is you, and he's me. He's ordinary, everyday, faithful, follower, forgotten, unseen. Ananias is you and me. And so I want to look at Ananias and what was it that made Ananias say, 
yes to such an extraordinary request. And I think there's three things that we're going to discover in the scriptures today. First, Ananias recognized God's voice. Second, he was willing to obey. And third, he was ready to pay the cost. So open with me to Acts chapter 9, and let's look at this brief snapshot of this man, Ananias. Down in verse 10, we will see that Ananias recognized God's voice. It says this, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. See, he knew it was God. He knew God was calling him. Now, we could make a case for, well, I mean, it was pretty obvious that the Lord was talking to him because A, he had a vision, and B, it was probably an audible voice. So it was kind of unmistakable. But do you know what? Paul had the same experience. Look back at verse 5. And Paul's response to a vision and an audible voice is, who are you? See, Ananias knew the Lord. He recognized his voice. Now, how do we recognize the Lord's voice today? And I think there's a couple of ways that we recognize the voice of God. But primarily, we recognize his voice through his word, through knowing the scriptures. This is what we call God's word. We call it the word for a reason. It's his words to us. And so when we study it, when we read it, when we meditate on it, we start to know God better. We get to know the, the tone of his voice, the quality of the things he would say to us. We start to understand what he says versus what the other voices say or what our own voice says. See, we know God when we know his word and we can understand his voice better because of it. And God's voice will never, ever contradict his word. And so it is so important for us. And it's why I'm so grateful that we have this place to come and to study God's word together to dive in and to dialogue about it, to hold each other accountable, to spur each other on. It is so important that we know this because there are so many other voices that will want to tell us something different and we need to know God's word. It's the plumb line of truth. God says in 2 Timothy that all scripture, all scripture, every single word is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's me and you, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. And it equips us thoroughly for every good work. Anything he ever asks us to do, we get equipped right here. That's kind of astonishing, isn't it? My experience with the Lord is that he speaks to me in concert, kind of in this sacred echo. So I may be sitting with him praying, and I feel kind of a prompting from the Lord. 
And then I'll open the word and I'll be reading and, and he, his spirit will draw me into something that kind of affirms or confirms that prompting from the Lord. Or maybe it's a circumstance, a, a door that opens up that hadn't been previously opened before. Or maybe a friend who's talking to me who says something and I'm like, did you talk to Jesus too? Because, <laughs> but he makes sure I know. I love that about our Lord. It's not like where's Waldo, where we're like, I think that's him. I'm not sure. He will make sure we know when he speaks to us, if we listen. And so that's the second way that we recognize God's voice. We need to be postured to hear him. Ruth Haley Barton says this, We long for a word from the Lord, but somehow we have been suckered into believing that the pace we keep is what life requires. We slide inexorably into a way of life that offers little or no opportunity for paying attention. And we wonder why we are not hearing from God when we need him most. We've slidden into a way of life that offers little to no opportunity to pay attention. The other voices in our life are really loud, aren't they? It's hard to be quiet, to be still, to hear from the Lord. But it is in the quiet and stillness that he speaks. Makes me think of Elijah. Elijah, in, in this moment of exasperation and desperation, of following after God, says, I don't know what to do. And the Lord says to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, God speaks in the whisper. You cannot hear a whisper when there's all kinds of other voices going on around us, right? The world is noisy, and we cannot hear the whisper until we are quiet, and we lean in, and we make space for him to speak. We will not hear unless we listen. But when we listen, he will make sure we know what he has to say to us. So let me ask you, when was the last time you carved some space out to be still before the Lord? When was the last time you set aside other responsibilities in your life to just be present with him? See, this kind of quiet interior life is not a life that is easy to attain. It is a life that is counterintuitive to the world. It is this quiet life, the life that nobody knows about, the life that nobody rewards, 
the life that no one sees that yields the fruit. It's the life that allows us to hear the whisper. And so when God says, are you in or are you out? We say, yes, Lord, I hear you. This Saturday, we actually have um, a silent retreat that we're doing. Nine to three, six hours. That feels like a long time to be quiet, doesn't it? But I would submit to you that it takes at least two or three hours to just get the mind to settle down. And so if you have space, make the time to come Saturday. We've got like 10 more spaces that we opened up because I long for you to have this time with the Lord, to be still before him, to shut out all the voices of the world and to say, here I am, Lord. What do you have to say to me? If you are interested in doing that, you can talk to one of us later. So Ananias recognized God's voice. And Ananias was willing to obey. Again, look at verse 10. When the Lord calls Ananias by name, he says, here I am, Lord. The NIV translates at yes, Lord. But I like the way the NASB translates it. It's a little more true to the actual words of the text. Here I am, Lord. And I love these words because they remind me of some of the great heroes of our faith. Abraham had a here I am, Lord moment. Abraham, who was called to be the father of all nations, finally has a child in his very old age, the one promised child. And then God says, Abraham. And he says, here I am, Lord. I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. I want you to give him up for me. And Abraham makes preparations to do this. And at the very last moment, the Lord steps in and he says, stop. Now I know you love me more. Now I know that you really are my servant. Isaiah is another person that had an here I am moment. And in Isaiah's here I am moment, he is taken up into this, the throne room of heaven in this beautiful vision where the angels are around and they are singing, holy, holy, holy. And he is overcome because he realizes he is in the presence of the holy God and he is unclean. And he says, woe, woe to me. And then another angel flies over and, and does this thing with this red hot coal, touches it to his lips and says, your sins have been atoned for. You are now clean in the presence of God. And then this happens. He says, and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, Lord, send me. Isaiah's here I am moment is amazing. And so the Lord said, go. And Isaiah becomes this great prophet who we pour over his words today. He foretold of Jesus. He called Israel out of their sin Isaiah is a man that we are grateful for even today. 
but he's not the only one. Saints throughout scripture have had these here I am moments. Think about Mary, right? The angel comes to her and says, you are going to bear God's son. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as you've said. Think about Acts and the, the people we've been reading about in Acts. Peter and the other apostles, they're dragged before the high courts and they're told, you need to stop talking about Jesus. And they say, no, we answer to him, not you. We will talk about him. And then think about Stephen, also dragged before the courts and at the risk of his life preaches the whole Gospel, the longest sermon we have recorded in Acts, Stephen is preaching to these courts. And they do take him out and they kill him. He pays a high cost. But he is saying, here I am. I am ready. I am willing to obey. So Ananias chooses these words very carefully. They convey that he is willing. He is willing to obey. So let me ask you if you've settled that in your heart. Because if you're going to spend time with the Lord to hear his voice, to know him better, are you willing to obey him when he calls you? You need to settle that now so that you are ready when he calls. And finally, Ananias was ready to pay the cost. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now you need to notice all Ananias knows is that Paul is praying and he's blind. He has no idea if Paul has had an encounter with the Lord. I love how uh, Charles Swindoll says this. He says, we must understand Ananias's reluctance. He was a sincere disciple of Christ, born again and dedicated follower, a bona fide believer. And Saul killed Christians. Do you see the dilemma? Ananias had heard God's voice. The plan was troublesome, I would say. God had told him Saul was blind and praying somewhere in the city. Well, in that case, keep him blind might have been Ananias' first thought. And at this point, understand, Ananias had no guarantee that Saul would be transformed. From Ananias' chair, God's plan was filled with uncertainty and enormous risk. And so Ananias asks God some questions, which I think seems totally reasonable given the circumstances. And I love this. I love that it is recorded in scripture for us because asking questions, being a little reluctant, does not equal disobedience. It can be. But if we are asking with an open posture and heart that has already said, hey, I will follow you, but this is how I understand the situation. Can you help me see it a little more from your perspective, Lord? And so the Lord answers Ananias. Or so Ananias says to the Lord, Lord, 
I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He asks him the question, and the Lord responds, Go. This man is my chosen instrument, my name to the Gentiles and the kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, questions don't equal disobedience until we use them to stall and to rationalize or to ignore what God is asking of us. But we know Ananias does not do that because in verse 17, it says, then Ananias went. When God tapped Ananias on the shoulder and he said, are you in or are you out? Ananias said, I'm in. I'm all in. Now, can you imagine what that walk down straight street must have been like for him? With each step wondering, will I go home tonight? Will I see my family again? What is going to happen to me? See, we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story, don't we? But truthfully, the story could have ended differently. It could have been that Paul would have killed Ananias and that would have been his breaking point. Maybe, but we know how it ends. Ananias didn't, and he went anyway. Ananias feared God more than he feared man. Oswald Chambers says it this way, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. So what about you? Are you in or are you out? I have a dear friend um, who's having an Ananias moment right now. She uh, has been confiding in me uh, the past few weeks that she's been feeling like uh, something's not right in her job. She loves where she works. She loves the people she works with. She even loves most of what she does, but, but she just feels unsettled. And so she, uh, she said she got to go away on vacation and got to still herself before the Lord. And she heard this kind of still, small voice whisper into her soul, Change is coming. And she said, Jody, I knew it was the Lord because I don't like change. I like security. I like consistency. I like to know what's going to happen every day. And when he spoke those words to me, I knew it was him. And so she came home and she invited some close friends in to dialogue with her about this, to wrestle through this with her. And, and she prayed, and she kept seeking the Lord. And then she said she was reading her Bible one morning, overcome by the sacrifice that the saints were making for God's church, for furthering the gospel. And she said, I closed my Bible, and I started to journal, and I started to just tell the Lord how I was moved by these people. And then I said, What do you want me to do? And I closed my Bible and I laid my head up against the chair and I sat still. And she said, then clear as day. He said, I want you to quit your job 
and I want you to walk dogs professionally for a living. I am not kidding. <laughs> and I said to her, um, now, you know, we get insurance and benefits and, and salary and dogs. And she grabbed me by both wrists and she said, Jody, the Lord said it. It's not about the dogs. It's about the people. They invite me into their home. They let me care for something they love. They, they open themselves up to me, and God actually wants me to share the gospel with them. She's actually being called to be a missionary, and she's figured it out. It works financially, and God is tapping her on the shoulder, and she's saying, are you in or are you out? Because what I'm going to ask you to do is going to look crazy to everybody else. But are you following me? Who are you afraid of? She doesn't know how this story is going to end. She has no idea. But she is going. Boldly being an Ananias. Speaking truth into my soul. I want to take you back to Bashir Muhammad. You know, he uh, was out there on the front lines and he reached a breaking point. He started to see that, that not only were they going after Christians, but they were also going after other Muslims. See, they, they had become so narrow in what they were thinking that, that you actually had to believe just exactly that way. So something in him seemed off and not right. So he left. He fled the front lines. And then he had to flee and actually leave the country. And so he wound up in Istanbul with his wife. Well, his wife started to become gravely ill. A young woman. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. They couldn't figure out how to make her well again. And so he picked up the phone and he called his cousin Ahmed, who had since moved to Canada and had become a Christian. And he said to him, let us sing praises over her. Let us pray for her. Put the phone up to her ear. And Bashir said, no, no way. I do not believe in what you believe in. And he hung up the phone and his wife continued to get sick. And so he called him back another day. Please let us sing praise songs over her. Let us pray for her. And in a moment of weakness, he relented. Fine. So he holds the phone up to her ear. And this small group of people in Canada start to sing worship over her. Truth proclaiming Jesus. And then they pray for her. And you know what happens. She gets better. And Bashir says to him, I don't know what to do with this. Can you find me a Christian preacher? I need to talk to somebody. And so here we meet Ananias again. In Istanbul, this Christian preacher gets a phone call. I need you to go down the street and talk to 
this known terrorist, how do you reply? But he knew God's voice. And he was ready to obey. And he was willing to pay the cost. So he hung up the phone and he went. And Bashir Muhammad is a believer in Jesus Christ today. He is a modern day Paul. A terrorist who is an evangelist. Total 180. He leads a house church in Istanbul now. But let me tell you, there is no Bashir Muhammad without his Ananias. This nameless man we will never know who faithfully says, I'm in. I will go no matter the cost. So what about you? Are you in or are you out? Are you ready to go? Are you willing to pay the cost? Because let me tell you, there is no cost that is not worth it to follow our Jesus. Are you in or are you out? You will have an Ananias moment. How will you respond? Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we we want to be in. It's a little scary. We don't know what you're going to ask of us. We don't know what you're going to call us to. But Lord, we know that there is nothing better than following you. And so we, your daughters, we say to you now boldly in our hearts, we're in, Lord. Here I am, send me. Here I am. I'm in, Lord, I'm in. I'll go where you go, I will follow you. Lord Jesus, help us to hear your voice, make it clear, and then give us courage that we may take your gospel forward. We may show the world who you are and do it for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.